um, this s- series of lessons about joy. And uh, I told her that I'm, I'm kind of, I, I really, I am really wrestling with this topic of joy because um, what I'm getting ready to share, um, I don't want to appear like a gloomy Gus or a Debbie Downer or anything like that. So what I'm getting ready to share with you is, uh, I guess you would call the dark before the lights. Okay? Uh, what I want to impress upon you is um, how precious it is that we have fellowship and how much is out there trying to take this away from us. Okay? So that's that's why what I'm getting ready to go into is going to appear to be uh, kind of heavy. And I don't mean to be heavy, but it's reality. Okay? So I'm getting ready to get into this, and I do so like Paul with fear and trembling. Uh, when I start talking about joy, uh, well, one, because there's so much emotional confusion about joy, you know, we think it's an emotion. Well, it is, but it goes much deeper than just a just an emotion because emotions come and go. Okay. Also, um, there's so much heresy out there because of a particular Christian sect and its viewpoint on joy that is not biblical, just simply not biblical, and I hope to address that. And I also mentioned that the darkness is so prevalent in the world that it wants to cloud our joy and wants to take away our joy. So that's just something that we want to be careful of. So I believe most people desire to be joyful, don't you? Don't you don't you desire to have joy in your life? I think most people are desire to be joyful. I don't think there's who in here is a, a fan of sorrow and depression. Raise your hand. You are. Oh, okay. We'll have to talk. Anyway, you know, not. I don't think there's a lot of people who are fans of sorrow and depression, which of course is the opposite of joy. Joy, but honestly, folks, you know, I think this current generation, um, I think, I think they might be a fan of sorrow because I, I go to certain websites that deal with this generation. And that's all they talk about is oh woe is me and oh how terrible it is and I mean it just it's just it just it's something else. Um, now I know there's a lot because I know there's a lot behind this, but I looked up a, a CDC report uh, dated just uh, last year, and this is kind of disturbing. But um, young people between the ages of 10 and 14. Suicide has tripled from the ages of 10 and 14. The rate of suicide has has tripled. That's distur- that's a disturbing number. That's a very disturbing number. I, I can't imagine what a 10 or 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 14 year old would would have a, come across their mind to think that life is no longer worth living. Uh, according to another report. In just the past nine months, suicide has increased by 11% in this country. 11%. That's amazing. To me, that's amazing. More males commit suicide than females. And in another report that I read, 
Uh, males ages 15 to 24, there's been an 8% increase in just the last few months. An 8% increase in suicide. So this, you know, this whole world, it's lacking joy, isn't it? It's lacking joy. Of course, a lot of reasons have been cited, you know, to, to have the cause, you know, that what's going on. You know, they blame COVID, they blame this, they blame that. But I'm a Bible believer. And I think the number one reason is because they don't know the source of joy, Jesus Christ. They have no, they have no joy. They have no hope in their hearts because they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I think a lot of young people today have been robbed uh, from knowing the truth because of the, the, the gnosis, the Gnosticism that's out there today, that, that new knowledge. And I think this upcoming generation is being trained by the many antichrists in our, I'll say it, in our educational system, in our entertainment uh, systems. Uh, they're all hostile toward the one true source of joy, which is Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the websites that I got on that deals with this particular generation, this is the thinking of some of them. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000? Well, he criticized Jesus for that. And he said that Jesus had stolen a little boy's lunch, deprived the people of their own lunches, and forced the multitudes to participate in this theft of his in stealing this little boy's lunch. That's the thinking out there, folks. That's the thinking out there. Where are they getting this? They're not getting it from the Word of God. They're getting it from that new knowledge that's out there, that's being taught in the schools and universities. My goodness, look at some of these adult cartoons on television, Family Guy and some of these other cartoons that these young people just love to watch and see how they treat Jesus. That's where they're getting it from. That's where they're getting it from. So they have no joy because they've... They've been told that the source of joy is really the true cause of their misery. They blame Jesus for everything that's going wrong in this world. Instead of looking to Jesus as the answer. On your worksheet, uh, not designed to make a complicated issue seem simple, I think is how it reads. I believe what is also an issue is that the world mixes up happiness with joy. The word would be happiness. For the lovers of the world, it is the pursuit of happiness that occupies their existence under the sun. Instead of knowing the source of joy, Jesus Christ, they're busy pursuing happiness. Now, this doesn't, this, I don't mean to say that sorrow is not a part of um, a Christian's experience. I don't want to say just unbelievers experience sorrow because, you know, we're big boys and girls. We know that we as believers in Jesus Christ, we experience sorrow in our own life. We experience sadness in our own life. We're not immune. We're not immune to sorrow. We're not immune to unhappiness. Why do you think there the why do you think there is what is the chief reason why there is sorrow in this world? It's really easy, guys. Sin. We live in a broken world. 
We live in a broken world, and it and it's sin that wherever sin exists, there's going to be sorrow. There's just going to be sorrow. I mean, we all live in a world of sadness and despair, a world of depression, a world that will not bring true fulfillment in our life. Um, it cannot deliver. It will not deliver uh, on on that. Now Job five six says, although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. Yet man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. I mean, stop and think about it. When you first entered into the world, you enter into the world crying, right? I remember the old movies where they used to take the baby and smack it on the bottom. I don't know if they do that anymore or not. But we enter this world crying, and many of us leave this world crying. Genesis 3:16 through 17 says, "Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee." And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Sin is introduced into the into life, and now it, sorrow follows. Of course, as I mentioned before, you know, the Antichrist loved to blame God for all the sadness in the world, but in reality, where does the sadness come from? <laughs> it originates from us. We're the, we're the ones that create all the sadness in this world. And we thumb our nose at God who's, who wants for us to experience joy. And if you keep thumbing your nose at the source of joy, you'll never know joy. I mean, it, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. So on your worksheet, um, the world defines happiness as an attitude of satisfaction. Okay, you guys, did you find that spot? Okay. And delight accompanied by a sense of self-worth. We hear a lot of that on television. And fulfilled personal purpose based upon one's present circumstances or situations. Don't... Miss those last two words. Circumstances and situations. You know, on the, every, on the surface, everything may appear happiness, you know. Your bills are paid, food's in the pantry, the car starts on the cold morning. You know, that, but all of that is kind of superficial, isn't it? It's all circumstantial. It's all circumstantial. Personal purpose. Yes, ma'am. You know, for many, happiness comes to them through their experiences. I mean, it could be everything from a quiet morning on the deck with a cup of coffee, or the birth of a child, or a, a wedding, that type of thing. Absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong with any of that. Some of them, it's for a goal or achievement that brings about happiness. And again, nothing wrong with that. On your worksheet, uh, this kind of happiness dependent upon circumstances of life at its best is very fragile. That's why I put that little glass there, fragile. 
and fleeting. And, and this is not the gift of joy that, that knowing the Lord provides. You know, how, how, many, how many are honest enough to confess that your attitude is often affected by your circumstances? Sometimes it's, it's true with me. Sometimes, you know, the circumstances affect my attitude. Um, happiness, you know, is very fleeting. It's very fragile. It's kind of like the Missouri weather. Right? It comes and goes. It's sunny one day, gloomy the next. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 talks about a man who is fabulously wealthy. He doesn't want for anything, yet he can't enjoy his wealth. There's something in his life that's preventing him from being happy, from knowing happiness. And again, this is not to take anything away from enjoying life. We are to enjoy life. God created us to enjoy life. God had created this world for us to enjoy you know, the things of this world and the family and the friends and, all, and the relationships. You know, There are some good things to enjoy about in this world. Ecclesiastes 3, 12-13 says, I know that there is no good in them, but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is a gift of God. So it is. It's a gift of God. So enjoy those good days. Enjoy those good days. Enjoy those good times with your family and your friends. Ecclesiastes 7.14 says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. And then here's this warning. But in the day of adversity, consider, God also has set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. So just remember, we're going to have good days and we're going to have bad days. And I think God designed that for a reason. So on your worksheet, a true and everlasting joy is not joy centered in one's experiences as much as centered in a capital P person. Capital P person. The next blank is, it is the presence of the Spirit of Christ within us that is the cause and the occasion of our joy. So it's not our circumstances. It's who's inside. It's who's inside. Psalms 89, 15 through 18. Blessed is the people that know the joyful sound. They shall walk, O Lord, in the light of thy countenance. In thy name shall they rejoice all the day, and in thy righteousness shall they be exalted. For thou art the glory of their strength, and in thy favor our horn shall be exalted, for the Lord is our defense, and the Holy One of Israel is our King. So we experience joy in His presence. When we're not in His presence, then we won't experience joy. Romans 4.17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, circumstances, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Joy. And this is what John is writing to about in this, in this first epistle. He writes to assure those who love and know God that joys is theirs to experience 
And we experience it through fellowshipping with God by walking in the light as He is in the light. There's joy in His light. There's joy in His light. So John writes to inform us and assure us, and yeah, even instruct us about this joy being made available to us. A joy that is possible even in the midst of the, of the day of adversity, in those times of sorrow. So on your worksheet, this joy that John desires we know about is more than happiness dependent upon one's circumstances, but rather an in, in, internal, internal joy, abiding in confidence that all is well with one's soul, regardless of circumstance, because of the knowledge that God loves us. God loves us. That's probably the most profound thing about God, is that He loves us. Even me. Ask my wife. It's not easy to love me. But God loves me. 1 John 4.17 says, Herein is our love made perfect or mature, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love, but perfect love, mature love, casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect or mature in love. 2 Timothy 1.12 says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. And I love this verse. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That's security. There's some joy in that. There's joy in knowing you're secure in his love. Now someone might ask, you know, how can I be so certain that this joy that you're talking about, this joy that John is writing about, how how can I be so sure that it's available to me? You know, maybe to Pastor Brian, but maybe not me. Well, let me tell you something. The very simple answer to all of that is this. You've got the words, got the Lord's word on it. You have the Lord's word on it. John 14.1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So I think if joy were not available to us, I think he would have told us. Don't you? That's what John is, is saying in, in this epistle. He's, in a sense, he's saying, if it were not so, I would have told you. But what does he say? These things we write unto you that your joy may be full. So he's telling you, folks, your joy may be full. But the thieves and liars, they attempt to steal away your joy. And they'll tell you... You can't believe this book. You can't believe this book. It's untrustworthy. It's untrustworthy. You can't believe it. So what they try to do is they try to exchange the truth with their lies. And they do it all the time. 
and do it through advertisements, they do it through music, they do it through social media. What they try to do is they try to drown out the truth and they try to offer you these shallow promises of happiness. My goodness, look at this season alone. If you're paying attention to your television sets or your radios, what they're proffering to us is a shallow, false joy. Now, you know what's going to be interesting? After New Year's, all of this excitement is going to dissipate. It's going to evaporate. Because it's not real to them. It's not real to them. It's a marketing ploy. It's not real to them. So stand fast on what you've heard. Don't let these thieves and robbers try to substitute your real joy with this false joy. Don't let them do it. So before we go any further into the study of joy... We're going to do a little contrast study. And what I'm hoping to show, what I hope I have time to show is is um, what the world really joys about. Is that even right? Does that sound right? What the world really joys about? <laughs> okay. So on your worksheet, the very first thing there where the little world is, This joy that this world talks about, this joy is a joy that the world knows nothing about. Knows nothing about it. This on your worksheet, this joy that John refers to here in 1 John 1 through uh, 3 through 4 is a joy that is not of this world, a joy that this world knows nothing about, a joy that this world will never experience. And more importantly for us to understand, a joy that we who know the true source of this joy will never find in this world. So believer, you will never find true joy in this world. That's a hard lesson for many of us to learn. That's what uh, that's the that's the error that many of God's people make. They they look to this world for something that this world cannot give to them because this world does not possess it. I mean, they market it and they package it really well, but it's not the real McCoy. If as a believer you're looking for the joy that this world promises to offer, let me assure you. The world can't even deliver on its promise to its own, much less to you or to me. We we once owned a a beagle named Penny. And being a beagle, she was bred to go where her nose would lead her. Well, one day, my uh, kids, they fixed up a rig to where a hot dog was suspended just before Penny's nose. And so poor Penny walked all through the house (laughs) chasing this hot dog. Trying to get a hold of this hot dog. She never did. I finally felt sorry for her. Did she finally get it? Oh, that's right. She ran into the couch and pushed it up against her nose. (laughs) I forgot about that. But anyway, but I think that was an accident. (laughs) But anyway, that's what a lot of people are like. You know, this world has got this carrot fixed in front of them, and they spend their whole life chasing this carrot. 
they might get a whiff of it, they might get a nibble off of it, but they never quite get that carrot or get that hot dog. Until one day that the chase ends and they die joyless. They die joyless. It's, kind of, it, it's sad. It really is sad. You know, the world rejoices over a lot. But there's one thing, and this is where I'm probably going to step on some toes. But there's one thing that the world truly rejoices over uh, for its own hurt. So on your worksheet, what this world rejoices about. The word is rejoices. Uh, Turn to John chapter 16. I haven't had you look in your Bible yet. I need for you to do that. Look at John 16. And verse 16. And we'll go all the way down to verse 20. So John 16, starting in verse 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. And said some of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, Therefore, what is this that he saith? A little while. We cannot tell what he saith. Verse 19, Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him, and said unto them, Do you inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while, and ye shall not see me? And again a little while, and ye shall see me? Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Now when you think about talking about joy in this world, you would think about talking about material things, right? Material things bringing happiness and joy uh, to people. Kind of like the fella in Jesus' parable who's going to tear down his barns and build bigger barns to to enjoy the good life for a while. Uh, What was the reality that this man ignored? Luke 12.20 But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Isn't it funny how we forget about that? We forget about that. And that's what John is getting ready to... He'll, he'll talk about this, loving not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's, that's, you know, that's what the world loves. They, they love the things of the world. So anyway, Jesus was on his way talking and, and he was preparing his men for what was soon to happen. What was soon to happen was his betrayal in the garden, his arrest, his being taken away and judged falsely and then eventually crucified and laid in the tomb. So he was talking about to them about his approaching death. And he was telling these guys, you guys are going to be very sorrowful. You're going to be filled with sadness because of what's soon to happen. And these men who believed and confessed that Jesus was the Christ, seeing him crucified, how do you think that that impacted these men? Have you ever put yourself in their place? Here, Here we thought he was the Christ of God, but yet he's crucified and now lays in a tomb. 
You'd think that would shake them up a little. Well, it did, didn't it? They went into hiding. They were sorrowful. They were depressed. They thought, this is it. This is the end. It shook them to their roots. On your worksheet. This is kind of a jumbled mess, but here is an infirmity of the flesh that we all must contend with. So infirmity. Instead of faith filling the heart, fear will drive us away from the Lord into hiding and sorrow will drive hope from the heart even though we know the truth of his resurrection did you guys get that? but that's what happens on your worksheet this is the tactic of the spirit of error fear and despair are the harp strings of the flesh that he has mastered in playing he'll pluck those strings of fear and despair in your heart like a maestro but Jesus goes on to assure them that this sorrow of theirs would soon be replaced with a joy and a joy that no man could take from them and this joy would happen when they came face to face with the resurrected Jesus John 16 and he now therefore have sorrow but I will see you again and your heart shall rejoice and your joy no man taketh from you but when he was talking to them what was the only thing they heard exactly they didn't hear this part about him coming back we do the same thing we do the same thing so, on your worksheet. Now, can this be said of the joy that the world offers? No, it cannot. This world may offer its condolences, but it cannot give us joy that remains because the world has no hope to offer. It can feel sorry with you, but it can't do anything to take that sorrow away. the joy this world offers is fleeting it comes and goes, it never lasts on your worksheet the joy of this world has no shelf life it's like the other day I got into the, my cabinet and got out a can of soup and it had expired there's no shelf life for the joy of the world and those of you who are interested I went ahead and ate it anyway it was only a few months out but there's no shelf life as far as the world's joy is concerned. There's a very short expiration date. And the joy of this world is spoiled easily and quickly. And again, the reason why this world has no joy is because they refuse to receive the hope of that joy, the source of that joy in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to start I'm going to say something very shocking. And this is on your worksheet. In fact, some of you might even be offended at this, but that's okay. So on your worksheet, I think there's a picture of the crucifix right there. Okay. This world would rather have a dead Jesus than a living Jesus. And it is for this reason that this world will never know 
the joy that John writes to us about. They would rather have a dead Jesus than a living Jesus. There are some Christian denominations that are fixated on a dead Jesus. They keep him nailed to a cross before their people. When you walk into their particular church, that's that's what you see. Or as a baby in the manger, because there's nothing threatening in this denomination, they celebrate his death every Sunday in ceremony. And they present to the eyes to the eyes of their people an emaciated, uh, withered and gaunt Jesus who looks absolutely powerless hanging up there. Um, I have I have a book at home because I was raised a Roman Catholic. It's a catechism book that I had to go through. In the Roman Catholic Catechism, the Christian doctrine, the question is asked. Is the Holy Mass one and the same sacrifice with that of the cross? Okay, the answer that we give is this, and we had to learn this. We had to recite it. The Holy Mass is one and the same sacrifice with that of the cross. Inasmuch as Christ, who offered himself a bleeding victim on the cross to his heavenly Father, continues to offer himself in an unbloody manner on the altar through the ministry of his priests. That's the answer. This is Nicolaitan doctrine. Uh, that, the, that the Lord hates in Revelations 2.6. This is doctrine that enslaves the laity to the clergy. Where the priest becomes, you know, the mediator. Instead of Christ Jesus becoming the mediator. Uh, the Church of Rome teaches that the Holy Mass is a continuation of the sacrifice that Christ made on Calvary, a bloodless offering that is in reality a re-crucifixion of our Lord over and over again, and that the attending of the Holy Mass by the people is just as efficacious to take away sin as was the sacrifice on Calvary. That's in their teaching. And in the minds of many of this religion's followers, the fear of missing a mass is taking the risk of missing out on heaven. You see the... They taught us it was a sin to miss mass. Yes, it was. See the chains? Now, is that what the Bible teaches? I dare say no. Hebrews chapter 10. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I want you folks to see this. See, this is something that they don't want you to read if you're in this particular denomination. The Bible is a dangerous book. It is a dangerous book because it tells the truth. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Now listen, look at this. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ every Sunday during Mass. What does it say there? Once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can take away sins... Never. Never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered sacrifice time and time and time again on the altar, is that what it says? 
after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Like in Sandlot. Forever. (laughs) Sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth. From this point forward, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Thank you, Lord. Amen. They don't want to be made his footstool. (laughs) Exactly right. That's why they prefer a dead Jesus. This Nicolaitan teach uh, doctrine uh, is, is taught to keep their people under their control, under their influence, under their authority. Uh, they tell you, uh, don't look to a resurrected Christ. Fixate on an emaciated, weak Jesus who is perpetually suffering and being re-crucified Sunday after Sunday by Rome. The true power resides in a man on earth and not in the risen Lord. Now I refer to the Roman church because it's the most obvious about this veneration of a cross. But you know what? Rome is not the only denomination that places what I call undue veneration upon a cross. Okay, here I'm going to get ready to step on more toes. Many Bible believers have a superstitious attachment to the cross. Almost an idolatrous belief that being in possession of a cross in some form, whether worn around your neck or wherever, that this little piece of jewelry, this little cross, possesses some sort of spiritual power within it. Am I wrong or am I right? You know I'm right. Or a St. Christopher medal. Or a St. Christopher medal or anything like that. But mainly mainly the cross. Now, we have a cross in this church. And there's a lot of folks that wear crosses around their necks. And I have absolutely no problem with that. But there's nothing magical and mystical or spiritual about this. In fact, I know who made that. Okay? And the same thing around a piece of jewelry around your neck. There's nothing special about that. It's an empty cross. It's an empty cross. And I'm not opposed to that. But on your worksheet, there is no power in the symbol of the cross. That cross hanging behind me on the wall or hanging around one's neck has no power in and of itself. Okay? On your worksheet, the true power of the cross is the message of that cross. It's the message of that cross. It's the good news about the one who is no longer there on that cross. That's the power. 1 Corinthians 1 17 through 18 For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, for the preaching of the cross is them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
Colossians 1.20 And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him I say whether they be things on earth or things in heaven Colossians 2.13 And you being dead in your sins and your and the circumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way nailing it to his cross. It is the message of the cross that is the true power of the cross do I hear an amen Amen. I hope I hear an amen on that so that piece of jewelry around your neck it's not going to do you any good it's the message it's the message and there are churches who are removing crosses from their buildings why is that well because the cross is offensive and we don't want to be a church that's going to be offensive, do we? Yeah. Do we want to be an offensive church? Yes. Okay. So on your worksheet, and I failed to put this in here, I meant to say the message of the cross instead of just the cross, but the cross says to the world that they are sinners. The message of the cross says to the world, you are a sinner. The message of the cross says to the world that only through Jesus will you get in heaven. That's your blank. The message of the cross tells the world it must humble itself before a holy God and repentance in order to live forever. None of this the world wants any part of. It prefers a dead Jesus. The churches that desire to present a more friendly, user-friendly venue to its patrons have learned that in order to attract people then they have to remove things that are offensive to people and the cross is one of those things and the word of God is the other and the word of God is the other so they put a lot of effort in providing slick programs, entertaining praise shows, comfortable surroundings an atmosphere I know some churches that have Christian boutiques in them trendy coffee shops I mean we got a coffee thing here in the back but it's far from being trendy (laughs) far from being trendy they give watered down self affirmation messages rather than the sincere word of God and a lot of mega churches you know what they display now in place of the cross a map of the world or a globe hmm hmm what's the message there what's the message there the cross of Jesus Christ is offensive to the modern Gnostic the cross is evidence that all the world is guilty before a righteous and holy God the world doesn't like that there's a lot of Christians that don't like to hear that the cross is the only way for sinful man to be reconciled to God Romans 5.8 But God committed his love toward us and that while we were at sinners Christ died for us. Much more than being justified now, now justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. There's a lot of people who do not like to hear that. That's offensive to them. They think it's their good works. And they definitely don't like to hear that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. 
Oh, they hate to hear that. Because that's intolerant of other religions in the world. That's offensive to all the other faiths in the world. You're not respecting all the other faiths. In, well, with all due respect, those faiths aren't going to get you into heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way to, to the Father. He's the only way. Jesus Christ is risen and is alive, and all power and authority is given unto him. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And boy, I tell you what, the world just hates to hear that message. That's why the modern Gnostic desires a dead Jesus rather than a live one. Don't allow the religiosity of this world to pull the wool over your eyes, brothers and sisters. Because they want to do that. They want to do that. Don't let the religious speak and the pop and circumstance, pomp and circumstance. Don't let all of this stuff that's going on in these mega churches with all of their praise and all of, all the light shows and the smoking. Don't let any of that fool you. Don't let any of that fool you. They prefer a crucified Jesus to a living and reigning Jesus. And if you hold to that truth, guess what? The world is just going to love you to pieces. Uh, no, no, it's not. John writes, Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. You know why it hates you? It's because you love Jesus and you love the truth. That's why it hates you. You know, you don't hear this uh, on uh, the world's media. But what is the most persecuted faith on this planet today? Is it Jewish? Is it the Jewish faith? They'd make you believe it is. You know what the most persecuted faith on this planet is? Biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity. I read... Um, uh, 360 million Christians, brothers and sisters, lived in countries where they were persecuted significantly. Imprisonment, loss of homes, loss of jobs. 360 million of your brothers and sisters. 5,600 Christians were murdered last year. 6,000 were detained in prisons. 4,000 were kidnapped and never heard from again. 5,000 churches or religious facilities were destroyed, burned down. And that's just what we know of. We don't know what's going on in China. In fact, Christians in China are being taken to brainwashing camps that the Chinese, and I love this, I love the way they, they're called transformation facilities. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah, that's what the Chinese government wants to do. But we have similar facilities in our own country. Transformation facilities known as universities and colleges and institutions of higher learning. We've got the same thing. According to another article, Afghanistan, North Korea used to be the number one nation that persecuted Christians. Now Afghanistan is the number one nation. What happened? What uh, made what made the change? Well, if you remember just a little while ago, 
the uh, government that was backed by the United States was left abandoned. And guess who moved in? So a so-called Christian nation caused this persecution of of Christians. But we choose to kind of sweep that stuff under the carpet. On your worksheet, it is this worldly system, is the blank, with its politics and governments and religion espousing its Gnosticism under the control of the God of this world that the Bible is referring to. It is this system that is hostile to to the cause of Christ and in open opposition to the mission of his true church. Jesus said in John 15, 18, If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. So don't take it personal. (laughs) It's him that they hate. Stop living for Jesus and they'll stop hating you. On your worksheet, this system is outwardly religious, scientifically clever, philosophically cultured, and elegantly sophisticated. Religious, clever, cultured, sophisticated, but seething behind the scenes is rivalry, greed, ambitions, and pride that seeks to enslave the weak and dispose of the unwanted, unwanted and useless that go against its will. Uh, what was the, the word a while back was called deplorables. So, was that supposed to be on our worksheet? This was supposed to be on your worksheet. Yeah. Okay. I apologize for that. Sorry. So the whole world, according to 1 John 5.19, the whole world lieth in wickedness. And I think we see more and more of that every day. So, do we have what is a response to our world, this world system, on your worksheet? My next point is the fall, this fallen world system with its false teachers. Really? Well, I don't have that on my notes. <laughs> I apologize. So anyway, I don't have that. Let me see. Oh, I deleted that. You're right, dear. When I reprinted it, that that got accidentally deleted. So what I want to come down, let's skip that. What, are, what is our response to this worldly system? It's, it's ruined, it's, it's rotten. So what is our response? You don't have that? We are to pray for kings? Yeah, we have that. Okay, that's where we're going. What are you giggling about? You like to see me squirm, don't you? So delete it and just cross out 
this fallen world system for this false teacher? Well, let me see if I can find it. This fallen world system. Yeah, I don't see that. Nope, I don't see it. Sorry about that. Yeah, so just go ahead and... No. Oh well. It was probably the most profound statement I ever made in my life. <laughs> so anyway. So we are to pray for kings and all and all in authority, first Timothy two two through four. The next blank, we are to be salt and light to the world. Matthew five thirteen through sixteen. Um, on your worksheet, we are to be the best citizens that can, we can be in whatever nation we find ourselves in the light of what the Bible tells us. So we're, we're to be good citizens. You know, as long as it doesn't violate any biblical principles, we, we are to be good citizens, the best citizens we can be. Okay, I wish I had that. So, all right. So I got I got to wrap it up. Um, bottom line, folks, we're we're sailing on a sinking ship, and our job is not to plug the holes in the sinking boat, but to get as many people into the lifeboats as we can <laughs> to get them safely to shore. That's what that's what we're that's what we're all about. We're to try to get as many folks into the lifeboats as we can, and we are to teach those folks who are in the lifeboats with us how to get other folks into the lifeboat. Because we're not gonna we're not gonna fix this sinking ship. We're not gonna fix this sinking ship. And I think uh, in the last few blanks is what the Bible teaches us, even admonishing us, is this, beloved. Those of us who are truly on the inside of this joyful fellowship cannot be satisfied while there are those who are on the outside and do not know the joy that we know. That's very selfish of us. If we know the joy of the Lord and we don't share that joy with others. And so the last blank would be this. This joy that the Bible tells us is ours to know is beyond what this world can ever offer and this joy is to be shared with others in order to deliver them from the oppressor who is a thief and a murderer. And I apologize for that missing blank. That's going to bug me. Okay. Any comments? No, I don't want comments. <laughs>
Any questions or any any thoughts? Okay. Do you still like these worksheets? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Then I'll continue to mess them up for you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Ron, would you mind?